So we're now entering one of the strangest times of the year. It's kind of like normalcy decides to take a vacation for the period between like Halloween and New Year's. Um, I mean, for one point of just strange interactions, like I, maybe I'm alone, but when I sit down for the Thanksgiving meal and I have all this food before me, all the textures of it seem to just blend together. Like this is the meal of the, of the year, but I'm eating it and I'm like, I'm just shoveling food into my mouth that like all seems the same, <laughs> has the same color, has the same texture. It's just weird to me. Um, it's like reading baby food or, or something. Um, and then of course, there's always the discussion around Black Friday. Of course, it's always starting up too early, you know, do we have it on Thanksgiving, do we have it after, and regardless of that, um, the idea of standing in the cold for three hours, you know, to get $100 off of a non-brand name TV that you don't really need, I think a lot of us just say that's ridiculous, and yet we stand in line to do it anyway. Um, how stereotypically Thanksgiving is a hotbed for controversial issues. Maybe this year you'll decide, okay, we're not going to do that, you know, and keep them, keep them separate. But you also have holiday parties that you interact with coworkers in a casual way, but you're used to dealing with them in a very professional corporate way, and that's just a little bit strange because you don't do this on a, on a normal basis. Uh, it can be awkward. You have to deal with the gift exchange, that you have to get something personal, but not too personal, and you know that they want something impersonal, like, you know, a gift card or money, but you can't do that. You have to give them something personal. It could be just very strange. And then don't get me started about the Yankee swaps. You know, you have this, like, hour-long event that you, that you sit into, and, and you wonder, wow, that was 95% too long. Could have gone a lot shorter than that. Okay, so that's the bad news. That's the, the crazy part of, of what's to come. But for many of us, this is an exciting time. And it should be. We get to see family. We get to see friends. And it's great to have annual moments where we get together, eat together. But if you fall into that first category, uh, the story we'll reflect on this morning will hopefully be much worse than the, the path to endure. I think I mentioned before, you know, I, I tend to have the eating, the, the banquet, uh, just stories in Jesus' life. But a lot of the, the stories of Jesus sitting down and have a meal, they're never really good. <laughs> they always have problems with them. And this is kind of one of them as we're going through the book of John. In John 13, Jesus and his disciples are preparing for the Passover meal. The other gospel accounts identify the Last Supper as the Passover meal, but John something does, does something a little different. He emphasizes the time right before the Passover, as the lambs are going into Jerusalem. There's kind of this large parade of lambs that are going to be slaughtered going into the city because they need so many of them. And so John decides, I'm going to place this right here in this setting, um, to show that Jesus actually is the Passover, the sacrificial lamb. Uh, John's description of the event is also different from the other Gospels um, in a couple different ways, and we're going to focus on those this morning. 
Um, during the meal, Jesus primarily act, um, primarily interacts with two individuals in John's account that take uh, two different paths from the church. That's Peter and Judas. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go on to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He said to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. This passage is packed full with a lot of stuff, um, and many sermons and illustrations talk about the image of and the example of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And that's important, and we're going to touch a little bit on that. But it's intriguing to me the personal issues that are going on at the table. I think Jesus is trying to show us a beautiful example of how we're to serve one another. But John says, hold on one second. I also want to show you the craziness of the events that are about to unfold in the people who are surrounding the Messiah. Peter's just one of those difficult friends um, who, I don't know, you just, you just kind of get this impression that they don't say the right things, they don't do the right things. It's kind of like, hey, Peter, let's go, let's go see a movie. And he's like, no, I don't want to go see a movie. It's just, it costs too much, and the popcorn is always too buttery, and I just don't get it. You know, they're way too expensive. And then he comes back later and says, hey, Jesus, Instead of going to see a movie, let's make a movie. And you're like, wait, wait a second. Like, that's not what I want to do. I just want a fun afternoon. There's just this interaction where Jesus and Peter just don't seem to get on the same page. They're, they're just missing each other. Um, first, he doesn't get the whole foot washing deal. Uh, now, foot washing was common in a saddle wear, uh, saddle wearing society, a sandal wearing society, uh, the roads were dirty. And so when you came into a house, um, it was customary function to have someone in the host's house um, you know, wash the feet of the guests. But it's almost always done by a servant or a slave. Jesus was definitely showing his disciples that uh, they are not to take the position of authority, um, but to take the one of the servant. Um, it's also a lesson in hospitality. 
But he goes on, and this is where John's account really kind of goes away from the other Gospels. He was describing how, you know, there's one among you who's not clean. And he says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me and tests one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to uh, know which one of which of them he met. One of them said the disciple whom Jesus loved was, recli- was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned to this disciple uh, and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had had charge of the money, some thought uh, Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. I also kind of thought that it was, um, Peter wasn't just doing something incredulous. Um, he was just kind of curious. Um, problematic. The whole exchange kind of have a little bit of levity. He wasn't just trying to be problematic. He just was confused. He didn't really understand what Jesus was asking him to do. Um, Like when all the turmoil around Judas and the bread was happening, everyone was kind of perplexed by who the betrayer was. You know, they're looking around and being like, "Eh, Bartholomew, you were kind of rude to Jesus the other day. You know, was it you? You know, they're just going back and forth and wondering who in the world. There's only a few of them. Um, And it's Peter that looks to one of the other uh, disciples. He doesn't ask Jesus personally. He says, Ask Jesus what's going on here. What is he talking about? Um, and it's possible that he's wanting to see kind of who ranks in Jesus' order. Or maybe it's possible that he was just wanting to know, is it me <laughs> that he's talking about? I've kind of blown it uh, today. And then we have this other character named Judas. Um, that a lot of emphasis placed on. Remember in 2000, or this year, um, it was during the Academy Awards and they had that like debacle that went on because the wrong card was given for best picture to the hosts and it was, they read it said on it that it was not the correct card, but um, they read out the wrong announcement. It was just a, a really awkward time back and forth as they were trying to correct it. And the consensus of opinion was that it was really came down to poor typography. If you look at the card, the way that it was designed should have been very apparent what category this was supposed to be, but it, it was 
done in the wrong way and the, the type was not very clear. Um, and it, okay, for one, as a design person, design is very important and it has ramifications like this. But also, it also showed that this could have been prevented. This wasn't something that needed to happen. Um, and I think that's a, that's a common theme about like our human interaction, that there's always ways leading up to who we are as people. There are things that make us who we are, and there's warning signs. Um, after mass tragedy events and mass murders, this is a common thing that people look for. They, they look for, you know, what, what led this person to do this? What was their motivation? Because we can't get around the fact that this person just all of a sudden, you know, flipped and did something crazy. And so, you know, media and Judas, John, are just always talking about what is it that caused that. And I think concerning Judas, John is asking us to do the same. He spends so much of the story focused on who is this guy, Judas, and, and what prompts him to do it. Um, it's interesting that John uses language like uh, Satan prompting him to betray Jesus. Um, we've already seen in John, like uh, a, week, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the anointing of Jesus' feet, uh, it's Judas who's the one who's raising the issues about wasting the perfume and it's already John's kind of digging in, like there's something that was here before J Judas came into the picture here, before Satan entered him. Um, and Jesus goes even further to identify the evil intents of Judas. Uh, so this has been one of the most intense meals that these guys have ever had. Not only does Jesus decide that he wants to figuratively kind of go around and wash the tables and clear off the dishes and serve the food and, and kind of take care of the hosts and the servants' tasks. Um, but now he's calling out people that are in the group. He's saying, you're the one who's going to betray me. Um, it's like, Jesus, this is not good etiquette on the secret at the table. But the audience and us, we're in on the secret. And it all makes sense. More than any of the other Gospels, John focuses on this guy, Judas. He's like the bully that you, that you think about. Um, you know, when you think about trouble, he's like, that's the one. That's the personification of evil in the world. Um, it's also evident that scripture that Jesus points to in the beginning um, that John describes um, it's taken from Psalm, I think it's like 41, um, and it's, it basically said the full context of it is the one who shares the bread is the one who's against me, but in Psalms, it actually talks about it's a deep friend. The psalmist says that this is a friend who I trusted, and I shared the bread with them, and they came against me, and John doesn't talk about the friend aspect of it. It's almost like he's saying, this guy wasn't even a friend to Jesus. He didn't even trust him. Because I think he, that would have been a pretty good point if he, if he brought that aspect of the psalm into it. But instead, he leaves out that and he says, no, this guy is just pure evil. And they knew it, and Jesus knew it uh, from all along. Jesus, Judas is bad news. This also tells us a little bit about how he gets us to the... Um, it prompts 
And then something happens to get us to the point of no return. That this had been kind of simmering within Judas for a long time. And then it, it, uh, Satan was prompted to come into him. And then the act was presented itself. And it, you, got, you, you kind of had this thought that Judas got to the point that he could not go back. He had already in his mind decided that's, that's who I am and that's what I represent, and you fall in consistency with that characterization. Um, and then the story kind of unfolds, and it keeps unfolding like a bad, corny horror movie. You know those movies that in the audience you're just like, don't go through the door. Don't do that. Don't you know, don't let this guy in. We, we as the audience say, this is not the right thing to do. We can see it coming from a mile off. Um, but the rest of the disciples are like, what's this guy doing? Jesus just got up from the table and left. He was just handed a piece of bread that signified that he was the one to betray Jesus, and now he's gone. Um, he must be out, like, getting food for the party. Or maybe he's like, you know, giving money to the poor. Logical, you know, conclusion with it. Um, it just shows how sometimes, you know, they're pretty oblivious uh, to, what's, to what's going on. Um, and I think that's, that's John communicating to us a little bit about how easy it is to accept evil. Not just within ourselves, that this is a long period of time coming, uh, but also the people around us. Sometimes we don't see things, and we should see things. And we should challenge people, and we should just say, hey, is everything going okay? Because I'm seeing things in your life that aren't, they aren't jiving, they aren't making sense. And so we aren't where the disciples are, where it's just like, I didn't see this coming at all, just out of the blue. Um, how easy it is to overlook something that's so plain right in front of our eyes. Uh, maybe you've had a situation in life that in hindsight is much worse than it is in the moment that you look back on and you're like, what was I thinking? That made no sense at all. Um, and it's just so easy to tell, but that's hindsight and that's looking at it. So um, just kind of being preemptive in those moments. I imagine as uh, the disciples' ministry went on, but they were still Judas's evil behavior, kind of became evident, but they were still oblivious to the consequences. Um, so how does the meal, the rest of the meal, actually go? Um, it actually goes fairly average compared to all of that drama that just happened. Uh, Jesus speaks some more. In fact, in the feast group last week, we talked about how um, we spent some time on the uh, Jesus uh, you know, discourse about leaving the disciples and that he's going to prepare a place for them. And that's cool. You know, they have a new pad with some new um, decor. Um, and Jesus said that he's going to go away to the Father which kind of discourages them, but he also continues with a, further, a final message that will provide some application to kind of tie up where the craziness of the, of the meal and uh, what's to come will be.
says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and, you will be, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He goes on a little, um, in a few verses later and says, All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give, you, give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Um, I think it's important to put Jesus' teaching here in the context of applying some of the meal itself. So as we're kind of thinking about applying some of these uh, things, I want that crazy context to be in our minds. Um, So Jesus instructs us to keep his commandments. This is in direct opposition to Peter, who is countering him on every single term and saying, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to put you in your right place about this. Um, The Spirit is sent to stand for us. Um, But the world will not accept him, just like Judas will not. I will not leave you as orphans. This is also in opposition to Peter, who denies him. And Judas just leaves the table and goes about his activities against Jesus. So this, um, and this advocate, the spirit, will bring a uh, clarification to God's teaching and accompany the peace of Christ. And this is in opposition to Satan, the adversary who confuses the disciples and us on a normal basis. Um, and then there's this just bold proclamation uh, that Jesus gives. Do not be afraid. Um, I have normal clear because that's what I, the, the thing that I find is kind of a, a, a normal clip that you can find from this that um, I don't think that do not be afraid is actually in this form and 365 times, but it actually sounds pretty cool, you know, that every day God can... Uh, provide this message to you, but it, it does say, it doesn't change the fact that do not be afraid is repeated throughout scripture, that over and over again, God is telling his people, do not be afraid, that despite the, the uncertainty that's in your life right now, that despite the family troubles that you have and those people that won't talk to you, 
the things that don't make sense, the job loss, the just chaotic diseases and oppression that you see around you. In, in the midst of all of that, just like I'm sitting at the table and all these crazy things are going on, do not be afraid. And I think it matters that scripture talks about that so much. So many people around us are, need the assurance that they are loved and that you have an advocate who will give you strength when it does not seem possible. Um, this meal with Jesus is just the start of a deeply isolating period. It's just beginning of a time that's going to be physically strenuous on him, and it's also going to be a time of just mental and spiritual strain because he's going to be deserted by the people that seem to have his back the most. And I'm moved by the fact that when he comes to one of his final meals, he, he takes the role of a servant and washes the feet of the disciples, leaving them an example that they will use to others. May we be a people who take off the trappings of false perfection and humbly relate to the people who are in our lives. May we be a people who are not afraid to speak truth to selfishness and to evil as Jesus did with Judas. And may we be a people who go beyond just being kind of a nominal Christian, like, yeah, that's kind of something I do, to really identify, to seek and follow in the lines that Christ has for us. Um, I just love this story because even though there's so many people not on the same page, us as the audience can view and get a glimpse of it and say, this is very clear of how I need to live my life. It's a beautiful um, as an example to others, showing hospitality to the people around us. And it's just a beautiful description of what it really, truly means uh, to follow Christ in that way. Um, so that's what I have. Uh, do we have questions? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So... I would say that scripture is not quite as clear on this issue as what we want it to be. Um, you know, there's, there's actually, and even in terms of Pharaoh, different points of scripture, whether you're looking at Kings, whether you're looking at Chronicles, like looking back on his motivations, it actually attributes different things to it, where part of it's to do with just this rotten guy, Pharaoh, um, or in this situation, Judas, that he has something within him that just, whether it's childhood, whether it's upbringing, those see he's just vengeful or greedy or whatever the case, those situations just kind of lead him to be the person that he is. Um, on the flip side, you know, Satan does play an aspect in this. And it gets people thinking, like, you know, is, was he, did Satan kind of come in from the beginning? Was he just always evil? Um, and it, I think... It's, it's difficult for us because we, we think, what does that mean for me? <laughs> like if I, was, if I it, have not been like possessed by, you know, demonic powers and Satan and stuff like that, does that mean that that might happen? Um, 
I think what John is is saying here is that there is a a pendulum. There is a, a um, kind of ratcheting up of Satan's activity in Judas's life. All it wasn't like Judas was, and my reading of and why I inserted that psalm passage in there because I think it's important why Judas doesn't or why John leaves out that first section of the psalm that. For all along, there were indications why Judas would perform the acts he did. It wasn't like, you know, Judas had the MVP award of disciples. Um, I think there were moments that got him to the, Judas was, and then it said, it, then John said, this was the moment that Judas was prompted to do what he did. So I think there is an, an aspect of it's not like there's a switch that all of a sudden you're either good or bad or, you know, Satan's either in you or he's not in you. I think if we look uh, at, across the evil things that we do or the bad things that we do, there's a cause and effect to it. We do a few things. It causes us to do other things. And then we look at our lives and we say, I don't even recognize who I was. And I think that's John's point here, is that Satan's always looking for that opportunity to prompt, to jump in, and then ultimately the acts that Jesus, that Jesus performs are done. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think he is talking about the devil in this. Um, there's a lot, just like Jesus has a lot of different terminology that's used for him. Um, I think in this instance, you know, John uses like the um, Satan, the, um, not advocate, the, what's the opposite of advocate? Accused. There, um, you know, the, it, it, he uses different words for kind of the same essence, that there, there is, um, there's this force that's behind what he's doing. Um, and I think part of that is just him saying, just as there's goodness, good forces in the world, there's also bad forces in the world. Yeah. Oh, okay. In John's description, yeah, it does seem like at least there's a... Um, you mean in the world in general or just in, his, in Judas's life? In the world? Yeah, let me get close to it here. Yeah, I think what Jesus is, or what John is saying is that the, the human history has been moving to this moment, which is Jesus dying on the cross. And... I think most of the gospel writers recognize Jesus being put to death as kind of the culmination of Satan's activity in the world. That all throughout time, there's been evil present, there's been bad stuff happening, but this is the moment when Satan seems to have won. So when he says, um, I think he's the prince of this world um, is coming, um, I think he's saying that the time is very close to Satan kind of having his, his, you know, 15 minutes in the spotlight here. Um, 
and and I think that's very consistent with John, uh, with John's message. There's this very strong contrast of light and dark throughout the book of John, and I think that goes into him saying um, that that this is a big moment for Satan and the accuser and Judas. Um,